But today, as we get into the word, uh, God is showing us what forgiveness is and how to forgive and why forgiveness is so crucial and what discipline, discipline looks like in the church. As Christians, we are given two great commandments on how to live. And, and in Matthew 22, 37 through 39, um, you shall love the Lord God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. If we are increasing in Christ and are living a more fruitful life, two things are inevitably going to happen. As we lean into serving, being in community, and in giving, we make ourselves more vulnerable to attacks from Satan. Satan doesn't attack the lost. He attacks, I mean, he's already got them. Um, no, he attacks those who are seeking Christ and increasingly trying to live a more godly life. In Revelation, and I'll thank you, uh, Kurt and Michael Godshell, because they kind of helped guide me on this a little bit too, without even knowing it. But in Revelation, uh, John tells us there are two things that the accuser, Satan, hates the most and has no power against. And that's the blood of the Lamb, when we ask Jesus to be our Savior, and the word of our testimony as we increase in him. Revelation 12, 10, and 11. And I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of Christ have come. For the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down who accuses them day and night before God. And they have been conquered. They have conquered him, Satan, by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. For they love not their lives even unto death. My simple point is this. If we are to live out God's commandments of loving him with all our heart and all our soul, if we are to love our neighbor, our brothers and our sisters, and even strangers as much as we do ourselves, it's likely we are going to sin against each other. It's likely we are going to be tested by Satan. And it's no coincidence the word test is in the word testimony. We were, not, were we not tested on several levels during the summer as Jared and his family were on sabbatical? You guys got to hear a lot of bad preachers like myself. <laughs> there are some bumps and bruises, but as a whole, I know all of life has been made stronger because of it. People stepped up and we have grown. Um, in the few months leading up to this sermon, I've, I've had this for about two months, and I, I would work on it as I had time. And about two weeks ago, I got some spyware on my computer, and bam, gone. I didn't save it properly. It was gone, so I had to start over. And, of course, the next morning, I get a text from Jared, and he says, I see you're on the schedule October 22nd. How are you feeling about it? I know you're, you're in a busy season. Would you like me to preach it? My first thought was, yeah. <laughs> but my second thought was, I know this is a test, and I'm not going to give in to the sin of laziness. And so I pressed in. And then like Jared alluded to, what, what was announced on Sunday? The building lease being broken. Um, and just remember, the church is not a building. It's, it's God's people. All you guys, myself, we are all of life. And we will navigate 
and how we land going forward. God has a plan for us. God has us, right? Amen. Okay. But again, there will be tests as we go through these things. We're likely to sin against each other with pridefulness, being critical, controlling, showing anger, frustration, or just tiredness, right? And so it's crucial we lean into how to forgive and how to ask forgiveness. God shows us how to do that and the necessary steps of discipline for a brother or sister. Father God, we just thank you uh, for allowing us to have a safe place to, to be and to hear your word and to fellowship. Lord, just speak to our hearts. Show us how to forgive. Show us what it, what it means, what it truly means to forgive. Lord, I just thank you. Now, this is the fun part. This is my least favorite part. You guys are thinking, man, that's not very good, but... All right, so if you're in the Black Bibles, it's on page 773. And we're in chapter 18, verse 15 through 35. If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. But if he does not listen, take one or more, two other others along with you, that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen to the church, let him be as a Gentile and a tax collector. Truly I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Again, I say to you, if two of you agree on earth about anything they ask, it will be done for them by the Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am among you. As it goes on to verse 21, then Peter came up and said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and payment to be made. So the servant, felt, the servant fell on his knees imploring him, have patience with me, and I will pay you everything. And out of pity, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. But when that same servant went out, he found one of the fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. And seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me, and I will pay you. But he refused and went and put him in debtor's prison until he could pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed. And they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then the master summoned him and said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant? as I had mercy on you. And in anger, his master delivered him to, to the jailers 
until he could pay all the debt. So also my heavenly father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. Pretty strong. Today I've chosen to work through the verses in reverse with the parable of the unforgiving servant. Um, he's showing us how to forgive. And in verses 15 through 20, uh, God is telling us how to deal with a brother or sister who sins against us and the process of dealing with them if they're unrepentant. Forgiveness. I don't want to get sidetracked here, but if you Google forgiveness and how to forgive, there are like a hundred ways, literally, you can look up how to forgive. Um, what is the true meaning of forgiveness? What are the four R's? What are the three stages of forgiveness? What is the golden rule of forgiveness? Etc. Cetera, Etc. Cetera. And I'm sure there might be some helpful things, but ultimately we need to see what Jesus says about forgiveness and how to get to a place where we can truly forgive. As we get into the parable, interesting thing, the Jewish leaders taught to forgive a brother up to three times for repeated sin. So it's likely Peter thought he was being generous by saying seven times. It is not clear as some translations say 77 times, like in the ESV and some say seven times, 70 times. But what is clear is that Jesus says forgiveness should be unlimited. When we repent and Jesus forgives us, he wipes the slate clean as if we had never committed the sin in the first place. When we forgive others, we tend to be like Peter and have that need to keep score. We forgive with our mind and our mouth, but with our hearts, um, we're not so, we're not there. And so the next time that they commit a sin or, or do something similar against us, that original sin comes to mind and we keep count. And I can admit to that. Um, my last trip to work, how's it worked out? Jacob ended up taking me to the airport and we had a conversation, you know, a normal teenager conversation. So if you have teens, you can kind of relate to this. But we kind of went over like some expectations and like talked about his future a little bit and I kind of caught up with him and um, see how he was doing. But I also went back to like, hey, can you keep your bathroom clean? Can you keep your room clean, right? And I realized as I was talking to him that in my mind I was making this mental picture of how many times over the years I've asked him to clean his room and how it like, it tainted my, my thoughts. And I was basically thinking, man, this kid's an unclean kid. And, and so we had a conversation yes, two days ago, I think, and I just asked him for forgiveness because I realized I had not wiped the slate clean. Jesus also further illustrates forgiveness by using the example of the servant who was likely much more than a servant as he owed 10,000 talents. Um, to give you an idea, King Herod's annual revenue for the year in Judea was about 900 talents. So... This guy owed a lot of money. And I, I went ahead and did the math. I'm kind of a nerd, so I went ahead and did the math. Um, the average servant made about 300 denarii a year. There's about 6,000 denarii in one talent. So if you compute that out, and I equated what the average Idahoan makes, which is about 50,000 a year, and you can kind of scale where you're at in that, it would take one of us 
200,000 years to pay back $10 billion. So this guy was likely no ordinary servant. The satrap, he likely was a satrap or a regional ruler. And with that, I mean, he, there's no way any of us could pay that back. Then this king's servant who had begged and pleaded for his life, who was given forgiveness by the king, shows us just how quickly our hearts can turn as he found someone who owed him money. He was not forgiving. So in this, in this fact, I mean, we, how, how can we give forgiveness? How can we expect to be given forgiveness of a savior and then in the, sec, the next breath, unable to forgive people who trespass against us? And that's something to, to think about. So what is forgiveness? How did the king forgive? He had compassion, canceling the debt and letting the servant go. How has God forgiven us? His son Jesus became sin, taking on the punishment we justly deserved. In 2 Corinthians 5.21, for our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteous. Jesus says an unforgiving heart leads to eternal punishment. In verse 35, so also my heavenly Father will do to you until you, if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. Another example I took from Matthew 25, and I'm gonna, I'm gonna paraphrase it, and this dry mouth thing is real. That's whipped. Jesus says, depart from me, you cursed, for I was hungry, I was thirsty, I was a stranger, I was naked, I was sick and in prison. Then they also answered back to the Lord, when, when did we see you hungry, thirsty, or stranger, or naked, or sick and in prison, and did not minister to you? And then Jesus answered them saying, truly I say to you, as you did not do it to the least of these, his people, you did not do it to me and they will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. When we fail to do it to them, all those listed above, when we fail to take care of the poor, the innocent, and in this case, when we don't forgive, we are not taking care of, of his people. So we are not taking care of Jesus, and we are not fully receiving or living the gospel. The ability to forgive is a true reflection of our life with Jesus. The prayer of St. Francis of Assisi says, it is in the pardoning that we are pardoned. When we forgive, we find a peace that allows us to experience love as God intended us to. In 1 Corinthians 13, 4 and 5, talking about love, love suffers long and is kind. Love does not envy, love does not parade itself, is not puffed up, does not believe rudely, does not seek its own, is not provoked and thinks no evil. How we forgive is a reflection of how well we love. So why, why is forgiveness so crucial? What are we really doing when we don't forgive? I have to admit, I've tried to live a mantra of forgive and forget. Um, 
do we really forget? I know I, I can say I didn't. Or do we again, and maybe without even realizing it, keep score? Um, some of you know my story. I grew up with a father who was basically, lived in the house, but he was an absentee father. Like we had no interactions. I can count on one hand how many times he said, I love you. And I can count probably on both hands how many times we had conversations that lasted more than two sentences. And so with that, I, and for a long time, without even realizing it, developed father wounds. Um, but as time went on, like, as I sought, as I found God, sought God, I looked to forgive him, and I thought, I can't tell you how many times I'd forgiven him. But something would come up that would remind me, no, that, that father wound, that heart pain is still there. And I'd go through the process of forgiving again. When we keep score, which could have been what I was doing, we put people in a box. We label a person as this or as that, or they are only this or that. We can even falsely believe we are better than them and say to ourselves, I would never do that. I can't tell you how many times at the fire station over the years, I've seen grown men assume the worst and label a guy lazy, selfish, or whatever that label is without having a conversation with him. And most of the time, there's a reasonable explanation if the conversation would have just, would have just taken place. When it comes to thinking ill of people, we can, we can pay back the people that offend us by shunning them, by slandering or gossiping, or by keeping a label on them, but this slants how we think about them and how we interact with them or even talk to others about them. And ultimately, this has the reverse effect. We somehow feel we are making them pay, but in fact, we are making ourselves prisoner to these actions, har harboring thoughts of anger and revenge. This also works to keep us prisoner from our Father because we are living outside of the gospel and not extending the same grace God has given to us. Discipline. Sometimes we don't realize we've sinned against another and it was unintentional. But I would say most of the time we know what we've done wrong. We know when we've sinned against someone, said the wrong thing, committed a bad action, and likewise, the other usually knows when they've sinned against us. So how do we make correction? When we speak to them, has the person who sinned against us that we've talked to been truly repentant and understood how much they hurt us? And have we both reconciled the mistake in conversation? When do we seek greater correction? When there is a pattern of habitual sin when there is not a change of action, when there is not a heart change, when there is not repentance. In verse 15, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained a brother. It is not a license for us to step into people's lives um, if you see somebody sin against somebody else. If they come to you and ask for help or wisdom, then yeah, give it. But I, I can say for sure that if I would have stepped into Jacob's life, if he got bullied at school, or Tracy, if she 
got stepped on, got her toes stepped on at work, like it might have made the situation worse. R.C. Sproul comments about this, um, and he says, love, love will conquer a multitude of sins. This means I do not need to initiate the process, and that's 1 Peter 4.8. I do not need to initiate the process of reconciliation every time my brother or sister annoys me, displeases me, or irritates me. If I'm offended in a minor way, I should be able to cover their mistake with grace and charity. Another point about verse 15, can you imagine if everybody could deal with problems like verse 15? Just have the conversation? And I'm not even talking if we're believers. If we approached every misstep or sin committed against us in this fashion, where we just had a conversation in kindness and love, can you imagine how much more peaceful life would be? How easier going and productive all aspects, aspects of life could be? Relationships, school, work, marriage, all the way up to how countries relate to each other? The next step, if your brother is unrepentant, is take two or three others with you and see if they'll listen. It's not enough to simply forgive the unrepentant sinner. Sometimes we need to protect ourselves from being hurt again, or maybe protect other people from them hurting other people. And it's also not loving to continue, to allow them to continue to sin. Our first reaction should be to forgive, but depending on the offense, we do need to speak up. And I do have a little example, if, because I've seen this before, and I'm not picking on anybody, but um, a lot of time it takes courage. Like when you first come to a church and you want to serve, and you finally say, okay, I want to serve, I'll do whatever this is. Somebody gives you instruction, and you do it, and the next thing you know, they've come behind you and redid it. And that's happened many times. So in that scenario, a conversation should be had. The person who was asked to do something or the person who came behind and did it, a conversation should be had. Because if not, if you're, if you're leaning in for the first time and serving and seeing that your work is not good enough, you might say, well, I'm not needed. They don't need me. He's going to do the work anyways. And you might get hurt by that. In the same way, I mean, it's, it's just something to think about. And, I, and I, I have to admit, I've been the one who's said, hey, could you do this? And I've gone behind them. So the conversations do need to happen. In verses 16 through 20, God shows us how to go through the discipline process if the person is unrepentant. The main point here is you want to restore them. God's greatest desire is to restore us to his kingdom. God wants us all to be restored. And he wants us all someday when he sees us in heaven to say, well done and, and faithful servant. And finally, if you've gone through these steps where you've approached your brother, he wasn't repentant, you've taken witnesses, he wasn't repentant, and you've taken him to the church, and he still isn't repentant, this is a very serious, serious deal. This is, this is, I can't think of anything worse. Um, like, like the verse says, 
Treat him as if he's a Gentile or a tax collector or basically an unbeliever. Making the final step to remove him or remove the unrepentant believer from the church. And this leads me to a tough topic and one that I don't have a, I don't have a lot of time to dive in today, but I do want to touch on a little bit. Um, if someone is unrepentant, does this give license for divorce or staying away from toxic people? And I wish I could say there was, these are the steps, these are the rules, but unfortunately there's not a cookie cutter recipe when it comes to divorce or more specifically abuse or betrayal. There's not a one size fits all. As Christians, we should model unconditional forgiveness, but that doesn't mean unconditional relationship. And there is no guarantee that trust in a relationship can be reestablished once these sins occur or if there isn't a true repentance. Forgiveness starts with canceling the debt, but that doesn't simply mean forgetting the debt. The one step that we have to be clear on, when somebody offends us, we have to pay the debt ourselves if that's possible. We have to try and put ourselves in that, their position and try and understand why did they commit this? Why? Which gives compassion to them. But there is a cost. There's a cost to ourselves for doing that. There's a cost to forgiving others their debt. There is a burden and a pain that should be bared as long as we can. It should be bared until we no longer can or until we can no longer guarantee the safety of ourselves or loved ones. Again, our goal should be seeking restoration of our brother or sister who is lost in their sin. Sometimes our act of endurance or hanging in there is an example of living a life that points to God and shows mercy and grace and can sometimes lead to restoration. And this leads me to another part of my story. Um, and this is a real short, short part. Um, Tracy, my wife, she endured a lot when I was lost. And her showing me God's love her pointing back to God, her loving me unconditionally was part of the process of me finding restoration. Um, and so while restoration can't be found in all cases, it can be found. It can be found in most cases. And I just want to encourage you in that. Wish I had my timer. I know, I know I've been up here longer than two minutes. All right. Well, it's like I rushed through it or something. Like, because I am, in, I'm about ready to close. God has shown us through His Word how to forgive, and the importance of forgiveness. If it were easy, I think we'd all be better at doing it, and maybe sin against each other just a little bit less. But the fact is, it's not easy to forgive, and we have to be intentional in the process of true. Forgiveness. We can't keep score because the real damage caused in doing so, it just keeps us more separated 
from living the truth of the gospel, which is truly understanding the depth of forgiveness, the forgiveness that Jesus paid for us on the cross. And as I said in my opening, if we are to live out God's commandments of loving all or with all of our heart and soul, and if we are to love our neighbor, our brothers, our sisters, and even strangers as much as we do ourselves, it's likely we are going to sin against each other. It's likely we are going to be tested by Satan. We cannot live a life being defined by hurts of our past. We have to step into the, the grace and love that Jesus gives us. So I want to encourage you today. If you need to ask forgiveness, do it. Don't wait. If someone has sinned against you, my hope is that you will have the courage to have the conversation that helps put your brother or sister back on track to restoration. Tomorrow's not promised. As a firefighter, I see tomorrow's end for someone almost every time I go to work. And sometimes on these trips, I'll see multiple people lose their life or they come to the end of their life or there'll be an accident of some kind. And someone gave me a piece of wisdom that I will not soon forget and I'm going to share with you now. And I'm going to ask you all to do something. As I do, I want you to think to yourself on the question or questions that resonate with you. Am I doing everything God is calling me to do? Am I living less in the world and increasing in the Lord? Am I loving and serving others as I should be? Have I asked for forgiveness or forgiven others to, that I need to? So now as you're thinking about those questions, I just want you to take a deep breath and hold it. Take a deep breath and hold it. As you exhale, someone is taking their last breath. All those things I asked you to think about, take, take action today because tomorrow is not guaranteed. Father God, I just thank you. I thank you for loving me, for restoring me, and for the same thing that can be had by anybody in this room. Father God, your words are here in the Bible for us to just dive into. Lord, help us to press into you. Help us to, if we don't know you, seek you. If we know you, seek you more. Lord, I just thank you for this church family. I, I thank you for everything, everything that you give that shows us glimpses of the love that you give us. Father God, I just thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.